0: Hello, and welcome to The Table, Conversations on Youth Justice, the show where we take on issues of youth justice in Michigan. I'm your host, Gabrielle Dresner, and today I have with me my co-host, Hussein Hydri, the Community Outreach and Engagement Manager for the Michigan Center for Youth Justice. Hussein, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, Gabby, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, Like you said, I'm the Community Outreach and Engagement Manager for MCYJ. Uh, And apart from managing volunteers, which is a big part of my job, Um, my job is really to spread the word about youth justice across the state that means talking about some of the problems and solutions to the you know the issues in the youth justice system but also talking about what we're doing to solve some of those problems like talking about legislation talking about projects uh initiatives that we're working on because i think it's so easy to fall into this uh this spiral of hopelessness when we hear about all the all the different issues but mcyj is doing so much great work to solve some of those problems Uh, So I'm excited today to talk about an important issue that we're doing so much good work on.
0: Great. Well, I'm really glad to have you on. So today we're going to be talking about juvenile court fines and fees. Um, We'll talk about the ins and outs of debt-free justice and how our supporters can help. So be sure to listen all the way through for details on upcoming events.
1: So Gabby, do you want to get us started by talking about what juvenile court debt is exactly?
0: Yeah. So a lot of people going through the justice system, you know, they encounter a lot of costs that people who don't have justice system involvement might not know about. So juvenile court debt is really any money that's owed by a youth or their families to the court for their involvement. Um, this can come from a long list of different assessments, um, There are what we call mandated fees and discretionary fees. So mandated fees are things that the legislature has set that they say, okay, you as a court need to assess and collect this amount of money for this certain charge. Um, Discretionary fees are a little bit different. They're things that the judge or the magistrate sort of has discretion over whether or not they decide to use those fines and fees. Um... Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. Can you, you know, give me a little bit more context here? Like how much money are we talking about here? Like what what are some of the amounts for some of these fees? How long do they have to collect them? That kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Um, so for mandated fees, it kind of varies depending on the type of offense. So there's something called the crime victims rights assessment. And depending on whether or not it's a misdemeanor or a felony, the amount changes. So for a misdemeanor, it's $75. Um, It's $130 for a felony if the youth is tried as an adult. And then there's also something called the minimum state cost. And that's $50 for a misdemeanor, um, and 68 for a felony. And that's sort of just like to offset the cost of operating the court. Um, As far as like DNA assessments and stuff like that. DNA is uh, $60 per assessment, but that can be waived. And then there are also costs of care and services for youth in out-of-home placements. Um, Those can technically be waived and also late penalties. So um, if a payment is more than 56 days late, then a 20% late fee can be assessed on all those costs and they can be collected indefinitely.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I just I think it's important to mention here, like the data doesn't show that folks are just they have this money and they're not paying. Right. Those late fees are generally being assessed for people that can't pay that extra money. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, the, the disproportionate impact, what kinds of you know, populations are being uh, impacted more by these kinds of fees?
0: You are exactly right. Um, it's not necessarily just because people are choosing not to pay, but um, a recent Federal Reserve study found that 40% of Americans could not afford um, an unexpected cost of $400. Wow. So looking at these costs, um, you can see like $60 for your DNA and 68 for a felony or 50 for a misdemeanor plus another 75 to 100 plus for crime victims rights. And those are just the mandatory fees. There are also discretionary fees that these kids are getting assessed. So you can see how that adds up really quickly and how a lot of people would not be able to afford these fines and fees.
1: Is there a disproportionate impact?
0: Yeah, yeah, there definitely is. So in Michigan, um, we know that Black youth are disproportionately impacted by the juvenile justice system. And we also know that nearly half of Black youth in Michigan live in poverty. So you put those two together, and it really paints this picture of just fining poor Black kids for being justice system involved.
1: And does the justice system treat people that you know are in poverty, you know, that get some of these fines and fees assessed for them? Does the justice system allow for someone to claim that they're poor and they're not able to pay these fees?
0: To some extent, yes. Um, There is no uniform ability to pay assessment. And what I mean by that is that the court can have the families fill out a paper that says, this is how much money I make, um, whether or not they fall at or below the poverty line, all those sorts of things. And so the court can look at that and take that into account and whether or not they're going to assess the fines and fees. But there is no consistent form across the state. So it's kind of dependent on where you are in Michigan.
1: I got you. So uh, talking a little bit about why we even have these fines and fees, you want to talk about like the purpose for which these fines and fees were implemented. Well, you mentioned a little bit about how they're meant to fund some of the, some of the costs in the youth justice system, but what are, what are the actual, what, what are the purposes for these fees?
0: There are two different purposes, depending on who you ask. Um, One of the reasons is the fines and fees are intended to act as a deterrent and keep kids from committing these offenses in the first place. Um, The thought process there is that if kids know that there's a fine or a consequence to their actions, that they won't do it. Um, Research on that is spotty. Um, There's nothing necessarily confirming or denying the effectiveness of that strategy. Um, It's sort of an... Ingrained theory in the criminal justice world, you know, it's one of the the major prevailing theories of how to stop people from committing offenses. Um, the other reason, like you said, is for funding the courts. So this is sort of a conflict of interest between the judges who are imposing these fines and fees and um, funding the courts. You know, it creates sort of this unjust and imbalanced system where judges can assess and collect upon these fines and fees to fund their own core operations.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, I just want to back up to what you said about the deterrence. You know, one of the challenges that we see is that, you know, families that already have, you know, a troubled youth are now going to have other challenges because of these fines and fees. Like you're talking about, um, you know, they're meant to deter, like the heavy cost is meant to deter the youth's uh, actions, but usually it's not the youth that's paying for that for those fines and fees, right? It's usually the family as a whole. Um, and so it creates that rift, uh, you know, between the parents and the children. Um, what are some of the other consequences to, you know, the imposition of these fines and fees?
0: You are absolutely right. It impacts the family as a whole. It's not just impacting the kids. Um, and that's why judges can use those ability to pay Forms because, like you said, it's not usually the kid that's paying; it usually falls on the parents or guardians. Um, the consequences are pretty; they can range from you know minimal to pretty severe. So, on you know the kids' side, they can be involved in the court system longer. You know, the court can hold them in under their jurisdiction for a longer period of time until they pay those those fines and fees. Um, it also increases the youth's risk of recidivism, um, just by the nature of being more court involved and having that stress, um, for when they age out of the juvenile justice system. So you would think, you know, like the kid leaves the system, that debt no longer follows them. They're not in that system anymore. Um, but that's not true. It, it does actually follow them out of the system, And the kid could potentially be jailed with their bail set at what they owe the juvenile court. Wow. So that's just the impact on the kids. You know, it also affects the family, uh, like I mentioned. So if the youth is unable to pay, it falls on the parent. If the parent is unable to pay, then their wages, their taxes, or their social security can be garnished for those payments. I mean, it also has an impact on credit score, which we know dictates You know whether or not you can get housing and all sorts of things in your adult life
1: yeah yeah so what to what extent are these fines and fees actually collected i know we don't have you know data all across the state but can you just give us kind of a rough estimate
0: yeah there was a study done um, that i will link in the show notes that found between five and forty percent was being collected across the state so it's pretty inconsistent And for those courts that we're collecting, it is pretty negligible what they're collecting. Um, Most justice-involved families fall at or below the poverty line. So collecting money from those families is going to be difficult because, like we mentioned earlier, they don't have the money to collect. Um, uh, Five to 40% of collections across the state, depending on which court you're looking at. Um, The lower the courts assessed, so the least amount of assessments the higher their collections rates were
1: yeah Um, which makes sense
0: yeah exactly exactly Um, it also sort of depends on what resources the courts are willing to put towards the collection so if they put less resources into it they're you know they might not get as much but it also depends on how much the court's assessing
1: sure I mean you reference you reference that study and I'm sure at some point we're going to do a deeper dive into this Um, but do you want to talk about that study in, in Macomb County
0: yeah so the Michigan Center for Youth Justice was able to partner with Macomb County Juvenile Court and sort of take a deep dive into their fines and fees system. So looking from 2017 to 2019, Macomb issued um, $11.7 million in fines and fees. Wow. That's a pretty substantial amount. It's a lot of money. <laughs> um, most of that was for cost of care and services. So things like placements and treatments, um, and then also attorney fees. Um, With MCYJ's help, they were able to look at their collection rates and their costs. So looking at what they were actually taking in versus what they were spending to chase those fines and fees. And they found that they were barely breaking even and collecting negligible amounts. Um, We were also able to interview 21 families, and they averaged over $87,000 in debt per family.
1: $87,000 is a lot of money. And, you know, we'll link in the show notes, you know, what um, the study, but, uh, you know, we found in Michigan that at graduation, the average the average debt load for college students is $30,000. And at graduation for graduate students, uh, it's about the same. So you could put a kid through undergrad and grad school for the same amount of debt, right? And that's, you know, this is, what really kind of uh, is the most alarming, right? Is that a child that made a mistake, has gone through the system and is trying to reform themselves, comes away with $87,000 in debt, but no college degree, no graduate degree, um, a future impact on their credit score, their ability to buy a house, get a car, and do all sorts of other, you know, financially difficult things for the average person. But now they also have to worry about this $80,000 of debt.
0: Exactly. So. Like you said, you're not looking at a a necessarily more positive outcome, like a college degree or something that they were trying to do to advance their futures. You're just looking at just getting out of the system, pretty much. Um, So, yeah, $87,000 in debt on average for those 21 families. Um, Some of those families didn't even know that they had these bills until they started being garnished. Um, and some of these families mentioned that they were facing homelessness due to having to decide between paying the fines and fees and paying their other bills.
1: That's that's incredible. And, and you mentioned the garnishment. Um, can you actually talk about what that means, just to clarify for some of the audience?
0: Yeah. Um, thanks for for asking. Uh, sometimes I I use terms <laughs> that you know make sense to me because I'm really in this. But um, garnishment is basically just like the state intercepting. Your paycheck or your taxes, so it's the state going in and taking the money in advance.
1: Mm-hmm. And for a lot of for a lot of families, like we mentioned before, they need their full paycheck to meet their expenses, and so this is an added step, and this is another challenge that you know that they face.
0: Exactly. Um, so in that same study, we actually also talked to some court officers and asked them sort of how they felt about fines and fees, and both the officers and the families reported less engagement due to these fines and fees. So from the family side, they, their thought process is sort of why would I report something to my child's probation officer if it's just going to get us in more trouble and it's just going to give us more financial hardship, you know, and it's not necessarily the kid is do some doing something wrong, but you know, the hope is that you, you treat whatever is going on with the kid to, cause this behavior. And if that behavior is occurring again, the families aren't going to want to say anything because there's punishment on the other end of that. And the officers reported the same thing, seeing that families had less engagement because they were afraid to report anything.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, after we kind of assessed the damage that these fines and fees were doing in Macomb County, can you tell us about how we started to resolve that solution, the extent to which we were able to resolve it?
0: So Macomb really looked at the financial and the human cost of these fines and fees. And they decide, or Macomb County juvenile court, I should say, not just Macomb as a whole, (laughs) but their juvenile court really looked at these fines and fees and the, the human cost and decided that it wasn't worth it for them. So um, in 2021, The Honorable James Birnett, who is the chief judge for Macomb County Juvenile Court, decided to cease the assessment and collection of juvenile court fines and fees, and in doing so, discharged $84 million in outstanding debt.
1: Wow. And that's, you know, that's a big win in our state. But like you said, it was just the Macomb County Juvenile Court that did this. There's 82 other counties in the state, and there's, you know, and a lot of them still assess these fines and fees. So what are we doing? Can you tell us a little bit about the debt-free justice campaign? What are we doing to address this issue statewide?
0: McComb was a huge win, like you said. Um, It's definitely not over yet. Statewide, we have been advocating for the passage of a couple of bills, and that would be um, House Bill 4987 through House Bill 4991. And those bills would statewide end the assessment and collection of juvenile court fines and fees Um, with the exception of the crime victims' rights assessment and restitution. Um, So we're not touching money that goes towards victims. We're just looking at these sort of user pay taxes that kids in the justice system are facing. So this is an issue that, you know, we've heard from other counties that they want to see resolved. And we've heard from constituents in those counties that they want to see resolved, so we actually have a pre-written letter of support that you can just go on and sign your name onto that we would really love our supporters and our followers to sign onto. And I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Um, do you have any other questions about debt-free justice? Anything that I haven't covered? Anything that I forgot?
1: <laughs> no, I think, I think you about covered it. And I, I really appreciate you breaking this down for me. Um, you know, as much as I... You know, research this issue as much as I present about this issue. There's always unanswered questions because of the complexity of this problem, right? So I really appreciate you sharing some more information. Um, I'm glad to. I'm glad I could join you for this.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And um, that's that's all the time we have for today. Um, I'd just like to thank you again. It's been great hosting you on the show. It's a pleasure. Um, as always, keep an eye out for future events. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to help support the show. If you'd like more information on any of the topics we discussed today, there are links in the show notes. To donate to MCYJ and support our work, please go to miyouthjustice.org. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash miyouthjustice, Twitter at justiceinmi, and Instagram at micenterforyouthjustice. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time at the table.